Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to our audiobook, You Deserve Love, brought to you by Amy Sherman Palladino. Uh, guys, just kidding. It's us. It's Katie and Megan. We're back. We're back. And if you got that joke, then you must know that we're here to talk about Luke and Lorelai getting together and all things around that, including the hit audiobook, You Deserve Love. Finally, a favorite of uh, moody diner owners and young Jess Mariano's everywhere truly hit their demographic what's wild to me about the book from just a basic standpoint before we even dive into it is it's sheer size no wonder they needed an audiobook the physical book is the size of like an atlas (laughs) it's truly like like a college book it is like a textbook size like you'd have to put a brown paper bag cover over it yes a book sock (laughs) Which Jess kind of does put over it when he's secretly reading it. I know. Like, no wonder Lorelai sees it in his bag. It can barely fit. (laughs) (laughs) They also read it very quickly and memorized it very quickly. Well, Jess loves to read. Uh, I've read Tiny Beautiful Things three times and I only now can start quoting it. So I'm just very impressed with the two of them. In spite of everything about me, I'm not a reader, so I can't relate to this content. (laughs) But I'll I'll listen to the audiobook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How convenient that it was an audiobook. I know. Anyways, here we are. If you are just tuning in, in the first two episodes, we talked about Luke and Lorelai's origin, setting them up as each other's big question mark, long-term crush person. Last episode, we talked about all of the various people that they date and what they learn from those relationships. And finally, here, we're talking about the moment that Luke and Lorelai get together and the early phases of their relationship. All that to say, I think suspense effectively built. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Lauren. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've really come a long way. And I think we've earned this uh, release, so to speak, in one way or another. So, T-God. T-God, it does does feel like a release when it happens. And I I think that's part of the reason we get so obsessed with TV show relationships is that it's tension and release. And listen, if my theater training taught me anything, it's that's what makes a good show is tension and release. It's, you know, almost Aristotelian, if you will. You know, ah. uh, we are here for the peripatia. We're here for the surprise or the change or the reversal. So listen, a lot of that's going to be in the setup. A lot of that is in the stuff we've already discussed. So now we're due some reversal, i.e. smooches. Smooches and the speeches that we love. I love a good monologue. So does Luke, apparently. Who knew? Luke's been working on this monologue for eight years. It's been in his back pocket. Right. Like for someone who, we'll talk about this more, but for someone who on paper is like the Cro-Magnon man almost, and he's just like designed to pour coffee and grunt, he sure had a lot of words stored up. For he someone really who, did. Yeah. Like as the second he, you know, became in touch with his feelings via love, uh, it really all came flooding out. So he was primed. 
primed and ready. Who knew he had it in him? Who knew he had those contrasting monologues in him the whole time? Okay. So as you might be able to tell, we are talking about being all in and dating the person that you have been wanting to date for a long time and what that was for Luke and Lorelai and what that looks like in the non-fictional world. In, in other words, too, all that to say what it might look like for you when you take the leap from your what if being a what if into a what will be what could be exactly and speaking of we're gonna go into our first segment relatable content it me i love the delay i remembered my line <laughs> so good uh thank you for being off book so if any of these statements sound familiar or relatable to you you might find yourself in a luke and lorelei situation so you might be in the Luke and Lorelai getting together phase situation if you've had a lot of buildup to this moment and somewhere in your body and in your soul, it feels like some sort of culmination of something, almost like you knew it was coming. You might be in a Luke and Lorelai finally getting together type situation if you try to keep one foot out just in case. Mm-hmm. And mm -hmm. she does. And she sure do. <laughs> And you might be in a Luke and Laura like getting together situation if you have all eyes on this relationship when it happens and everybody has an opinion they uh, are expressing for the first time and you had no idea that everybody was holding on to these opinions and rooting for you this whole time. <laughs> might take the form of an actual town hall meeting. And lastly, so a, a, a real double whammy here. You might be in a Luke and Lorelai getting together situationship if it comes way easier and more naturally than you ever expected. And at the same time, suddenly nothing comes easily or naturally anymore. Oh, my God. That moment where he picks oh her up for my the first Lord. date. And, and they like, both forget ah, how to like, uh. speak. And she's like, no, you would with the truck. And, and so it's a date. Okay. I'm like, whoa, guys. You know, like some things are effortless and they slide right in. And some things they're like, how do I person? We're going to do a little recap of the plot if you didn't get to tune in last time here is where we're at luke has divorced nicole lorelei has just broken up with jason luke buys an audio self-help book you deserve love and through that book he seems to realize that lorelei is the person for him and it also gives him some action items to start making love happen for himself and this leads him to invite her to his sister's wedding. This leads him to asking her out and really kind of start going in and, and doing actual things to win Lorelai. So that's where we're at. Let's talk about it because we've watched this build up for four years. So what changes? Katie, what do you think changes that actually makes him, because let's be honest, it, this is a, a ship that is captained <laughs> by him. What makes this happen? What changes? I feel like in the best way, Luke's almost over it. What really struck me rewatching it is that when he finds out that Lorelai broke up with Jason, it was the same moment that he finds out about Jason. He didn't like know that they were dating this whole time. I just broke up with someone. Yeah. We'd been dating for a few months now. I figured there was someone in the picture. You did? How? Just clothes, you know, you never dress weather appropriate, that kind of thing. Well, I can bundle on up now. I'm sorry. Cats came to my house today. Really? Because they know I'm a loser and I'm destined to be alone. You're not destined to be alone. You have shell. <sighs> Why is it so hard? What, relationships? Look who you're asking. At least you got married. At least you had a kid. Yeah. It makes me sad sometimes. 
Does it make you sad? No, I don't know. Maybe. Uh-huh. I see Dr. Phil books in our future. Unless I stock them at Home Depot, they're not likely to cross my path. Oh, yeah. So it struck me that he didn't even know who she was dating. Like, it's been so long, and he was wrapped up in the Nicole stuff, and she was wrapped up in her life, that he was kind of out of the game. And so I think what has to change for him is that he has to be willing to lose it all in order to gain anything. I think that I think mm-hmm. that in taking these actions and in, you know, even getting this book and trying something so out of character to like go by and read and listen to a self-help book, he's just over it. If you listened last week, I think it's a similar attitude that we talked about to this God will she date anyone but me, where he's in this place of God will she date anyone but me all right, well, fuck it. I guess I might as well try something, you know? And so I think that leads him to buying yeah. the book and listening to it and trying. I think the book itself, obviously it leads us to believe that it leads him to thoughts and realizations about her. I think more so it leads him to yeah. thoughts about himself and that like he's not going to put up with this back and forth mm-hmm. sort of bullshit anymore. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's talk about the book. Because <laughs> I take some issues with the book as a plot device because to me it just feels awfully convenient and awfully on the nose that he finds this book that suddenly leads him to this realization. I don't actually buy that the book is what leads him to the realization because it doesn't make sense. So to your point, I think he is over it and he you know comes out of this relationship with Nicole being so beaten down by love and then I think he sees that Lorelai is single he gets this confirmation that she is single and I don't think he had thought about it in a while because you're right he'd been out of the game but then I think he decides to seize the moment and is like well I fucked up my last marriage so badly that I'm not gonna fuck this up she makes a passing joke about self-help books or Dr. (laughs) Phil books or whatever and then he actually goes and buys it because I think this is his I know that everything I've done in the past hasn't worked and I actually do need to change something in me if I want it to work this time. So in that way, I do like the book as a plot device because I think we did need to see him kind of have that realization of, well, it hasn't worked so far, so it must be something in me. And I think he does learn about himself from the book. I personally wish that we had gotten to him realizing he needs to make changes in himself without the uh, really on the nose writing of the book and the audiobook. But Whatever. The What's book is funny what it to is. me about the book is I feel I wish we could get, you know, Amy on the phone and ask her because obviously she did mm-hmm. it on purpose because there's a whole scene about him going to the bookstore and buying the book and talking to the guy about yeah. it and like getting a bag to carry it out so no one sees. I think it would have been such an easy sort of shift in the writing to just have someone like give it to him or have him find it. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. not that's not without the world of the show. That's totally within the realm of like weird shit that happens for like Miss Patty to be like, oh, I got this, honey. Here, take it. You know, like something. (laughs) Could you just drop it off? Would have been so easy. So obviously I think she was doing something on purpose by having him go get it. Yeah. And maybe it is intentional of being like, look how much he's changing to win her. And that's why I think the timeline of events has to be this. I think the justification has to be He realizes she's single and then goes to buy the book because she is the only thing that would make him take such an out-of-character action as 
to buy a self-help book. And, you know, late in the, later in the episode, he goes, do you know how many times I bought flowers for somebody? Never. Very easy stat to remember. Yeah. So he is being really out of character. So I think the justification has to be that it's for Lorelai. Because the way that the episode goes is that he goes and buys the book and then it leads him through these exercises. Mm -hmm. When you travel, who would make your travels more enjoyable? Do you see her face? When you're in pain, who would you most like to comfort you? Do you see her face? When something wonderful happens in your life, a promotion at work, a successful refinancing, who do you want to share the news with? Do you see her face? Whose face appears to you, my friend? Whose face? Whoa. And I just don't buy that that's the moment he quote unquote realizes that Lorelai's the one. Because I don't think there's no justification for him being like, ah, oh, I'm just going to decide that I deserve love independently of figuring out the Lorelai is single. Oh, and then conveniently in that moment realizes that it's Lorelai. That doesn't make sense to me. But I enjoy it so much more if it's that he realizes he's single. He doesn't want to mess it up this time. So he goes and buys this book. And then that whoa moment is maybe just how how much he likes her or I think it could be I think it could be him getting on board with the book because in the mm. first scene the audio tape guy ha has like oh say it along with me I deserve love and Luke was like, <laughs> like yeah. he can't do it and the the guy's talking with him like some of you might not have been able to do it that's okay and Luke says like I'm, I'm able to do it. I just haven't been hit with the Oprah stick lately. So maybe right. woe is him getting hit with the Oprah stick. Yeah, I like that so much better. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's a moment where I think undercounting in the scene where she makes the joke about the Dr. Phil books uh -huh. that could totally have a part of it because obviously he's coming off the Nicole situation. She's coming off of Jason. In that scene, Suki's trying to set her up with this like really oh, random yeah, the, dude who's previously <laughs> divorced. The chicken guy. Yeah, like he got free range chickens and he's divorced. Oh, I assume the one I assume the one doesn't affect the other. And she does a classic what if maneuver in which she pretends um, that Luke is her boyfriend. Yes. And mm -hmm. it's a classic. It's a Piz and Veronica. We've seen it a million times. Yeah. Uh, the girl pretending she's oblivious so that she can use this to her advantage somehow, not maliciously or anything, but just, you know, and they definitely get some like physical closeness in that. And he like at the end of it, she's like, don't touch my stomach. Oh, my like, God. Such a relatable weird. moment. I hate when people touch yes. my stomach. <laughs> I know. It's weird. Like, why was that his instinct? Like, that's the, that's like someone touching the back of your knee. Right. Like, ew, ew. don't. Ugh. But so anyway, I think it could be given. I think later we're going to talk a little bit about the difference for them between physical connection and like mm. verbal mental connection. Yeah. So it could have been this like moment of physical connection where he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Because like, who's to say what they were like feeling in that moment? That could yeah. have been like, shit, I got to go get a Dr. Phil book. Yeah. And she does kind of give him this like lingering glance at the end of it and at the end of that little scene. So yeah. I, I like that interpretation that the woe moment is like, oh, shit, this book might actually work for me because it's speaking to me in this moment. I was, I was say, I know that we're probably going to call this episode All In, but mm -hmm. we should alternate title, like parentheses, The Oprah Stick. The Oprah Stick. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, we all have that moment where like we start to invest in a quote unquote like hippy dippy self-help journey, whether it's like meditation or yoga or whatever it is, where we have the moment where like, oh shit, it's actually working for me. 
So I get that. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you have to, it's, it's a, I mean, listen for these two characters in particular, but also for everyone in life, it's a hard thing to admit that you were wrong ever. Mm -hmm. And I think that in order to move on to something, not even saying that like what you have right now is bad, but in order to ever move on to something better, you have to be willing to part with the way you were doing things or the way you felt about things. And that's really hard to do. And so I think you, even Luke gets to this point where, this is what I always say. Listen, I do believe in astrology. So like mm-hmm. that's the hill I'm going to die on. But when people want to like fight me about it, I say, listen, there are so many things in this world that I don't know about. Like who am I to stand here and say that that's not true? And right. I think that that's a fun way in for a lot of people to a new philosophy where yeah. Luke's maybe like, who am, I to, who am I to say that this doesn't work? Yeah. Yeah. And I think he that, uh, you know, how clear that image for him maybe is what like shakes him into fully getting on board with it because after that is when he uh really starts taking action and that's when he starts quoting it to Jess and you know really starts following following along with it that analogy where he's like my friend let's call him this let's call her that he's like who are these people (laughs) Um, so I think it is important that he to your point he realizes that things aren't working and there actually is a moment where he's talking to Jess after they've gotten in the fight at TJ's bachelor party, where Jess makes some comment about, like, look at us, like, we're just a couple of losers. He says, well, things change, my friend, stay tuned. And I think that's such a really sweet moment of him. You know, I think we did have to see that in him where he is not going to withhold affection anymore. He is not going to stand still anymore and let his like stubbornness get in the way of his happiness. He's ready to like let it all go and be all in. It's so funny too, because I mean, we already talked about how like once he's all in, there's this big change in him. But I think because he is such a prideful guy, like that's why, I mean, if he's going to do it, he's going to do it, you know? Yeah. So it's like, if he's, if he's deciding that the way he was doing things wasn't working and he's going to do things a new way, he's also deciding that the new way I'm doing it is going to work. Yeah. And it's uh, the book told me to do it. So it's going to work. So let's talk about what he actually does because it's so significant and it's, it's what makes the difference is the action. So what do you think for you, what are the actions that he takes that really make the difference in the shift for him and for her? One that really sticks out to me is, uh, I don't know if this is what you mean by actions necessarily, but Mm -hmm. at the, at the wedding when he, so obviously asking her to the wedding is a huge big deal for him. But then once they're at the wedding, when they get into the fight about the self-help book, that's such a huge deal to me. Because he is not going to, like, let her sort of tear that to shreds, even though he's obviously – she obviously stepped on a landmine that that she didn't know was there. He could just sort of fold and be like, haha, you're right. Yeah, it's stupid. And he doesn't. He sort of takes this stance of, like, I'm not going to let you make me feel like an idiot for wanting to grow. Right. <laughs> and I think that that's so important. And that sort of shows, like, this willingness to lose – something about the comfortable friendship that they had before in order to gain something better in the future. Right. He's willing to bear his feelings more in a way that he never was. Yeah. And I think he's willing to make her upset even momentarily in order to, and she doesn't really get upset, but she's definitely confused by what's happening. Why don't you mock this book with me? That is so incredibly mockable. (laughs) 
I mean, listen, they spent the whole wedding mocking, and honestly, it was so cute. It was really good. The whole, like, don't laugh, the, like, try to think of something sad. Um, Famine, I'm out. Yeah, so just even though we know that they love sharing that common ground over, you know, um, shared distaste and, you know, simple mockery of of very silly things, he sort of won't give that one. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. really important. And I don't think that we would have seen that color from him before this. Yeah, there's a lot of standing his ground, just even in his own. And, you know, I think it's a quality that's so attractive when somebody is pursuing you to just be like, no, I'm here and I like you and I'm going to stand my ground and be open and honest and clear about it. And I'm not going to play games. I'm over that. There's like a change in him that's so, just watching it, I was like, it's so attractive. Well, first of all, I love the moment where he's like getting nervous about picking up his out his tie and Jess is like this one. And then when he picks her up for the wedding, he goes, you look beautiful. And she is like, flattery will get you everywhere, my friend. He's ready to be that person. Mm -hmm. And if we want to talk about love languages, there are several uh, love languages that he executes during this pursuit of his. Uh, Maybe this book, maybe You Deserve Love is really the precursor of the five love languages. So uh, (laughs) he calls her beautiful. So we've got some words of aff. We've got physical Mm -hmm. touch with the dance. Then we've got gifts. He got he brings her flowers to the inn. He kind of really kills it. It's not that wishy-washy flirting that he's done for the past eight years. It's clear and deliberate, and he doesn't take it away. And it builds on her, you know, where she's like, all of these things separately, I don't know, but together, like, maybe they're dating. I agree. And I think um, that's definitely how she feels about it, too, where she's like, I think I'm dating Luke. But yeah, I, I agree that it's it's the succession of all the things like Mm -hmm. he does all these actions and i think any one of them isn't so bizarre as something we would have seen before but all of them together is striking and i think what really sort of seals the deal then is after the wedding when he sort of immediately asks her out again yeah Mm -hmm. you know like maybe this day and then of course it's like uh, okay i'll see you then and also before then but um that's sort of seals the deal that like, hey, this isn't a standalone thing. Right. This is going to be something I'm pursuing. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it was a state, like if he had done one of those things that could have been in the classic behavior, you know, we've seen for the past, you know, all the seasons with him. And I think that we see with these kind of what if people in our lives where they'll do one thing and you're like, wait, does that mean something? But it's not until their behavior changes to a point where it becomes a pattern that I think you can really know mm-hmm. that this is happening for real. So let's talk about how she reacts to it. It's always fell off for me. And I think in my rewatch, I now understand why it fell off. And there is an eventual payoff for her feeling a few steps behind. It kind of feels like she's just going along Mm -hmm. with it. A hundred percent. So to kick it off, she has this conversation the day after the wedding, I think, where she goes and has lunch with Rory at Luke's and they have this conversation. I think I'm dating Luke. What? I'm not sure. It's just a possibility. I I could be wrong. But how? When? Well, I went with him to his sister's wedding, and it was really nice. We had a really good time. We laughed a lot, and we ate, and then we danced. Danced? How? It was a slow dance, a waltz. Luke can waltz. Luke can waltz? Luke can waltz. Look how you just said Luke can waltz. What? I'm just saying I'm surprised that Luke can waltz. That sounded more like I'm surprised I still have my clothes on. Oh, stop. Well, what else happened? Nothing. We spent the evening together. We danced. He walked me home. And then he asked me to a movie. All of these things individually do not add up to dating. But together, I don't know. Did you say yes? 
When? To the movie. Did you say yes? Yes. That sounds like dating to me. But maybe he didn't mean it as a date thing. Okay, whoa. This is Luke. I know. Our Luke. The town Luke. We see him every day. He's a part of our lives. I know. I mean, everyone will know. They'll know if you're together. They'll know if you're not together. <gasps> I know. You can't just date Luke. When you're with Luke, you are with Luke. And if it doesn't work out, it will be really bad for both of us. I mean, how do you feel about this? Do you want to be dating Luke? It's one of the funniest moments, I think, of the whole show after that scene. When she walks inside and he's like, hey, is something wrong? And she's like, no. And she, like, falls and knocks over, like, the whole table. It's, like, the biggest surprise. It's so funny. And it's just so well done because I'm like, oh, you're not well. You are not well. Because <laughs> you never really see her get that tripped up by anyone, you know? Like, she never, it's not so around funny. any of the other guys has she gotten, like, goofy nervous like lost her cool no and i think that's what makes luke so attractive during this period of time is he's so statusy like yeah in, in making the shift like he kind of doesn't give a fuck in the best way all the balls are in his court yeah and it's great yeah so she freaks out and i think this conversation with rory is uh important because it communicates i think probably what her internal monologue is you know it's luke the town luke we see him every day you can't just date luke and i think those are all of the thoughts that are going through her head and i think that's important because it communicates to us as an audience that that's probably why she is scared and why she proceeds with caution during this time and also she doesn't totally know it's not totally clear to her that that's what's happening i think this idea of what everyone else is going to think and the high stakes of it is playing in her mind again and again and again and i don't think that she knows she's ready in the way that luke knows he is yeah i agree with that and i would add like i believe those are some of her concerns and i think those are the surface level concerns for sure but i think what's going on more deeply within her is then what also sort of affects her as they start dating that she's really kind of not ready to receive the kind of love. Like, I think she's mm. done the work and she's gone through all these other people, but I think she still hasn't done the work in the way Luke has of like putting down her walls and allowing herself to receive a love that will change her. Yeah. I think that she's still a little too strong or proud or, you know, scared for that, which who can blame her? I mean, she's lived a fucking life, you know? Yeah. But I think that deeper down, those are the things that are going on where she, like you said, we don't usually see her get ruffled by someone. And I think that's brand new. And that's really scary. Yeah. So I think what comes up for me in, you know, this change in Luke and making the decision to do it is what do you do when you feel ready and you see the person that you have kind of been pining for become available? What do you have to do to make it actually happen? I don't know. It's a hard one. You're asking the tough questions here today, Meg. Yeah. Um, because it's a two-way street. And I think what you have to do is what Luke did. I think you have to make sure all of your ducks are in a row and then take the appropriate steps. But I, I, don't, I don't think you can account for how the other person is going to feel or react or behave. What I think is really interesting in the way that Luke and Lorelai did it not even on purpose, circumstantially, is I think it's really important that he went away for a while after their first kiss. Um, mm. I think that's so important because I don't think he did it on purpose. And obviously he left her this voicemail of like, D just don't change your mind until I get back, you know? Yeah. So he made his feelings known and obviously like via actions as well. But I think if he had been around 
and pursuing her in the same way with the same frequency, she might have freaked out. Yeah. I don't think that she necessarily would have been ready to have him sort of on top of her like that. And he uh, clearly even knows that when he asks Suki not to say anything right, to her. He's like, right. I don't want to spook her, you know. So I think the fact that he went away for a while to help Liz and TJ at the rent fair is so important because him being away in the wake of all this happening allows Lorelai to like sit with her thoughts and realize how much he does mean to her and how much she misses him and how this could be a good thing. It gives her, I think, a little time to adjust to this new concept. Yeah, I think I was going to say, I think that you need to do what Luke did and hold your ground and know how you feel and be honest and open about that. Don't play any games, but also be gracious and respectful of the other person in that they might not be on the same timeline that you are on and the stakes are high. So proceed with caution and hold space for them. And I think he does a really good job at that. I think so too. Yeah. Also a very respectful, healthy attitude. And it's going to come crashing down when April Nardini <laughs> enters. So it's come up a couple times. So let's just talk about the kiss. I am actually Mwah. curious where this ranks for you in terms of television kisses it's top 10 for sure it's top mm -hmm. 10 i i don't know you know listen don't shoot me i don't know if it's top five it might be but it's definitely top 10 um and part of that is just because i know i'm very guilty of being seduced by the kisses with a lot of um flash meaning like life and death stakes oh yeah the world is ending yes one of them's not human someone's crying you know Music i'm like surging beneath them uh -huh. yeah uh spanning years and continents oops yeah. wrong show so i'm very guilty of that that being said this one's vehemently top 10 like unequivocally because what this one has going for it i think is all the build-up four yes. seasons worth of build-up eight years worth of buildup of their friendship. Mm -hmm. So I think that that, that buildup is so gorgeous. So yeah, I really think that we earned that release. I really like it. I've, I'm finding that I so enjoy the moments between Luke and Lorelai where they are nonverbal, which is mm -hmm. ironic because that's sort of what they're known for is their like verbal sparring and their witticisms. But I think that's why I'm enjoying it so much more because it's so much more interesting to watch people out of their comfort zone right. than to do the things that they excel at. Like, obviously, we love to watch them spar and banter and be witty and cute. But, like, how cool is it when you see them, like, shut up for a second? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so that's what's nice in the kiss, too, is she backs off. And I think Luke, in this one instance, does a really nice balance of what you were talking about, where he makes the move, she backs off. And is like, what are you doing? And he goes like, would you just stand still? And then goes for it anyway, which I think she needed. Mm -hmm. He would, I mean, he would never force himself on her. He would never do it if he didn't think she was open to it. But also, she's never going to make this decision on her own. And no. I think that he knows that. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love would you just stand still. I think that for me is what makes this one of the great kisses because it is so emblematic of who they are as people and of the show and of their relationship they have this moment where they're looking at each other and like there there's so much tension between them and they're going back and forth and i think it's kind of this moment where there is all of this chemistry that we've seen built for four years on screen eight years in their friendship and mm -hmm. i think 
would you just stand still is so indicative of the journey to this moment because they just keep missing each other. And all it really takes Mm -hmm. is for them to both just stand still for a moment and be with their feelings. And then when they do, it happens and you see him initiate it, her kind of back off and then go for it. And they break apart and then she initiates the second kiss because she's ready. Also, the second, would you just stand still? She says it too. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that's what I love is that it feels so the show. And then Kirk interrupting them naked is like one of the greatest buttons, payoffs, whatever in TV show history. I think it's so perfect. I have to agree with you. And also offer like what a sexy moment that is for luke which it shouldn't be because kirk is running through them like screaming naked but i think in this genre and in the world of this show luke then running after kirk is the equivalent of like walking away from an explosion with your sunglasses in your back turned yes you know what i mean like in this genre, he it's like he doesn't give two shits. He's like, you're welcome for the kiss. Now I got to go be myself and do yeah. this thing that I said I was going to do. No, I, I love that, too. You know, he still is the person that he is and he's still a good. You know what I mean? He's not like a sleazy guy that's like, no, I'm going to keep like escalating this kiss and see where it goes. He's like, no, no, no. I'm Luke Danes. I swore to help Kirk with his yeah. weird shit. <laughs> I gave Kirk my word. Oh, yeah. So it's it's pretty high for me. So what happens is they kiss and then in the next episode, in the fallout of the kiss, Luke ends up having to, as Katie said, leave for six weeks, something like that, for a long time to go help uh, Liz and TJ in the Renaissance Fair. And when he comes back into town, they go on their first official date, which is where he takes her to Snuffies. Snuffies? Snuffies? I think it's Snuffies, isn't it? Snuffies or Skippy? It's a dog's name. And is it a tavern? Oh, Sniffy with an I. Sniffy's Tavern. Sniffy's Tavern, where he apparently has been going two to three times a week that just (laughs) never went noticed. As as Lorelai says, Luke has a Luke's and it's Sniffy's Tavern. (laughs) I do actually, I really like that scene. I like his relationship with those two older actors or it's with those so two. Cute, yeah. It's really, really sweet. Um, and, you know, and they talk about like he never brings his girls here, which means he just hasn't brought any of the other two girls here. Any of his girls. Yeah. Like he's on all these dates, like some Casanova. So he, you know, they start this date. She's introduced to these important people in his life. And then she asks him, do you remember the first time that we met? And he goes and he tells her that it was a busy day at the diner. She wouldn't leave him alone. And she eventually asks him what his birthday is. And first of all, Luke is a Scorpio is the most questionable part of this episode. I mean, (laughs) what? Yep. Yeah, he's Scorpio. Yes. He's got to have some some other really prominent, you know, signs in his other houses that affect things yeah Yeah, i was wondering that was like who on amy sherman paladino's writing team is their astrology consultant because they didn't do a great job i disagree yeah i disagree with the scorpioness of him so she writes down a horoscope and she hands it to him so i'm looking at this piece of paper in my hand and under scorpio she'd written you will meet an annoying woman today give her coffee and she'll go away I gave her coffee. But she didn't go away. She told me to hold on to that horoscope, put it in my wallet, and carry it around with me. One day, bring me luck. Well, man, I will say anything for a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, I can't believe you kept this. You kept this in your wallet? You kept this in your wallet. Eight years. 
eight years. Lorelai, this thing we're doing here, me, you, I just want you to know I'm in. I am all in. Does that, uh, are you, uh, scared? The answer to which I think is yes. I mean, yeah, like they cut away, but I have a lot to say about the date. So like I sort of went on this emotional roller coaster throughout the date, basically starting pro Luke, anti Lorelai and ending still pro Luke because God love him, but like less anti Lorelai because I was like, shit, I get it. So at the beginning of the date, I felt like it was so weird because he obviously takes her to this place that's really important to him. He knows these people. They're his family friends. The guy, Buddy, helped him like start the diner. Mm -hmm. Um, He like tells her this beautiful story and all this stuff. Like he is just really trying. He's putting his whole heart on his sleeve. And like we sort of touched on, she's so flip and like glib the whole time. Everything he says that's like sweet and tender she has some like sassy retort Mm -hmm. even the story on the back of the menu like she's making fun of it the whole time and like yes that's kind of the bread and butter upon which their relationship is founded but it just felt really off and imbalanced also though this is where i started to relate to her is bitches talking up a storm yeah and like yes even in the story he describes when he met her that she was talking a mile a minute and she does that and we know that but also i was like oh i relate on a date in particular i will drive a conversation so hard that i like cross the interstate and start a new life like i will just drive a conversation all day long so you think it's like a nervous thing she just can't get in touch with her and listen who knows if this moment had happened if it would be different but i think after him picking her up and the awkwardness of that whole moment where they like forgot how to be people i think she is gonna rip her eyeballs out if it continues to be that awkward especially because it's luke and she does care so much she will keep talking under pain of death in order to avoid an awkward silence on this date yeah like i think he emotionally recovers from that and she absolutely does not and can't get in touch with the gravity of the situation to save her life and i think it's obviously this defense mechanism and I think it's, you know, it's very intentional that they wrote, are you scared and do not write an answer for her because the answer is so clearly yes. You know, obviously that moment eventually comes back around when she and Luke go break up and she watches a nightmare where she's watching that scene and she says, say something because she doesn't say anything. And so I think it sets up that the beginning of their relationship is this dynamic where Luke is going to be there and be all in. And I do think the all in speech is cathartic as an audience member because you're like, yes, that's what it has to be. That must be what he's been feeling this whole time. So it's so great to know that it is. So it's going to be him being at that place and her being a few steps behind and kind of letting her fear get in the way. And, you know, I think that's eventually why she kind of starts to self-sabotage by talking to Christopher. And I think what the beginning of their relationship is, is her fear slowly wearing off and her falling deeper and deeper for him to the point where, like, she is surprised by how badly it hurts when it goes wrong, you know? Yeah. And I think per your advice from earlier of, like, how to handle it when you're ready and you want to like take the step with your what if person, I think this might be the one instance in which Luke missteps yeah, a little bit. I agree. Because I think he I think he gets so excited mm-hmm. that he forgets to take it at her pace. 
because because I'm like, if someone, whoever, whoever it is, even if I did know them for eight years and have this deep, deep love for them, if someone sat me down on our first date and told me that they were all in, I think I'd have a coronary. Yeah. I get it. Like I would be scared too, you know, and especially knowing her and knowing what we know, I think that he gets so excited by being all in that he forgets to sort of walk beside her. And she does fall behind. And to know who Lorelai is and how she operates. And you see that even another moment that for me rings a little bit cringy is after they sleep together and they're in bed and he's like, okay, tell me right now, like what CDs do I have to get? That moment to me always feels like a little bit off because he's so excited and that's sweet, but it doesn't feel earned like it doesn't it doesn't feel like the release that it should feel like of she's been waiting for him to ask that or anything I also that whole sort of situation rang bizarre to me because obviously they do have intimacy but it's got to be really weird to adapt friendship intimacy even if there is physical intimacy in that of like just physical touch into like romantic sexual intimacy and they do it so quickly and on the heels of this date that was somehow in a misstep that the whole thing I was like wait what I didn't feel the progression of this date from her ending up with her sleeping over right that didn't feel earned really and I wonder if they just did it for this payoff of having her walk downstairs in the morning and Um, That was so good. Which is so good. Uh, And everyone seeing her in the diner. And I really paid attention this time and watching the faces of everyone and just think like... Gypsy? Gypsy, it's so good. Gypsy's face. Gypsy fully is like, oh, girl, act. You know, like take that. (gasps) Take that day on set and make your coin and just act the crap out of your one shot. (laughs) You know, I think watching it younger, I wanted to be so excited about this first first date. And in my rewatch, I was like, no, this feels off. And it's weird. It's weird. And now I understand why. And I think it has to, because she has to, she takes it for granted. And then she goes back and regrets how much she takes for granted. I think you really see that with the um, story of how they met too, because the way she asks, you can tell she's asking because she doesn't remember. She's asking in a way of like, I've always known you. I can't remember the Mm -hmm. first time we met. And he clearly does because he tells this whole story. And on top of that, he carries the thing in his wallet with him all the time. And then also during that story, she's continuing to be like glib and weird mm-hmm. and yeah. like sassy, um, which sometimes is cute. But sometimes you're like, let yeah. him tell the sweet story. So right away from that, you can see how on different pages they are. And I think you continue to see that even into the next episode when they go to the like town hall meeting. He gets up and gives this whole amazing tell-off speech to the whole town. And she effectively right. cheers him on. And she goes like, show, show them the oh, horoscope. Yeah. Again, super, super cute. But like, the, it's not the same thing. She doesn't meet him on that level at all. No. So obviously they... They start off with this kind of uneven dynamic, but it is cute, you know, like their their banter still exists. She is excited about it. He is beyond excited about it. So what do we think works for them in the beginning? What are the parts that are the good, the cute, the cathartic release of tension parts of their relationship at the beginning? I think it's helpful that they already have routines. Uh, we've talked so much already about seeing these various men try to fit into the lifestyle of Lorelai and Rory and Luke's not having to fit into it because he's an integral part of it. So it's not sort of like this, this foreign object inserting itself into their lives. He just is a part of their lives. So that's easy. I think it's effortless. Yeah. They already know each other and they've already accepted 
the differences in each other so much already. Like there's no surprise, you're not going to be okay with the fact that I drink coffee all the time. That's not a deal breaker in the way that if you just started dating a new person, that that might be. They've already worked through a lot of their differences and their opposites. And I think the things that they still learn about each other, they actively try to adapt. You know, Luke goes to bed early and she kind of comes up to bring champagne when Jackson wins Town Selectman. And she's like, oh, that's right you go to bed early and don't you hate champagne? Like they are willing to actively continue to learn for each other. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. And it's, it's just like you said, obviously they're in this lovely honeymoon phase, but I think that in most relationships, there's a phase prior to the honeymoon phase that some of our friends sometimes call the, like the cupcake phase. Oh, I like that. And I am often accused of wanting to skip the cupcake phase, but like, can you blame me? Meaning this phase of dating where it's like a new person and you have to pretend that you don't fart or get zits or Mm -hmm. all of the just like human stuff. And of course I want to skip that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if you can see that even for a second, you'd have to pretend to be someone else with this person, why bother? Yeah. And so I think they are done the huge advantage of getting to skip that phase because they met each other as just people and strangers and got all that out of the way eight years ago. Yeah. You know, she's so, they're so honest with each other. Like he comes, he makes her breakfast in her kitchen and she's like, Luke, I want to go to Luke. He's like, I am Luke. He's like, but I am Luke. She goes, I I want my, I, I want my dating Luke and my cooking Luke. And he says, but I am cooking and I am Luke. <laughs> but like, you know, they. she doesn't have to pretend for him in the way, you know, with like Alex, she pretended to like fishing. Like they just get to be each other and they get to be giddy and happy and flirty. And I think you see it slowly start to grow on her, her enjoying it. You know, like there's a point where Rory calls her and she's describing something Luke's doing and Rory's like, mom, you sound happy. She's like, I am, babe, or whatever she says. And she's on the phone in the diner. And he's like, get off the phone, get out, or get out from behind the counter. And she's like, oh, my boyfriend so protective of me. There's just this ease and this <laughs> giddiness in the beginning that is really cute. But on the other hand, there are things that do not work. And there are things that cause them difficulty in the beginning. And I think there are things that are difficult in any situation when two people that have been flirting for a long time or liked each other for a long time get together and everybody knows it and knows them. And I think one of the things is that everybody knows it and knows them. And I think one of the big things we see in quite a literal way in this world, because it's Gilmore Girls and it's heightened, is the town hall meeting about the consequences of them being together. I think in the non-fictional world, this looks like all of your friends having a reaction and opinion about it. And you know, that it does have the potential to divide a friend group or to divide a town. And I think that having all eyes on the relationship can be very stressful. Yeah. And it's so funny, too, because it's not only all eyes on this relationship, but all eyes on all their past relationships, too. And they bring up, like, as we saw with many of Lorelai's whatever, and she's like, hey, (laughs) you know, and all eyes on, on the history of the town. What Luke says, like, you have charts about two people who lived here and dated 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think that part of what doesn't work is, obviously on on her end, we've talked about that she's less all in than he is. You see it in, though we've talked about how cute it is, this scene where he makes her breakfast at her house and they talk about like dating Luke versus cooking Luke. Mm -hmm. Because right away, yes, she's being honest with him, but she's also kind of like, 
not willing to adapt at all. Um, Mm Because I think what was successful on his end is that in stepping into this new version of the relationship, he was willing to sacrifice the old version of the relationship. And with her just going along with it, I don't think that she is, at least not yet. And so this is this sort of one foot in, one foot out, where it's like, yes, she has a foot in the dating now, but she's not willing to take that other foot out of the friendship, mm-hmm. which you don't have to lose, but it, it will look different. Yeah. Um, and so I think this sort of clinging to the familiar and the routines and the way things were does them a little bit of a disservice because like it, it will adapt. There will be some growing pains as we find something new and ideally better. Which doesn't even mean that what you're coming from was bad. It just means that, you know, even good things have to end so that hopefully amazing things can begin. Yeah. And I think, you know, we know from her, this conversation that we played last time of needing something stable, that she is very resistant to change. So I think it makes sense that we see this in her of Luke has been such a stable thing in her life. So I think her realizing that it's different happens very slowly and her loving the things that are different about it happens very slowly. So obviously this happens in real life with people. So what would you say, you know, if you were the Suki, if you were the Liz, what would you say to that person who has just started dating their big what if crush? I think it's exactly what we've been talking about, this element of growing pains and being comfortable with that. I think you have to be willing to not judge the relationship right away because it's going to be foreign and it's going to feel weird and it's going to look different than you probably thought it would, especially because more so than with other relationships, you've had a lot of time to build this one up in your head. And so you're almost going to suffer from like book to movie adaptation syndrome of, well, it wasn't how I imagined it. And it's like, okay, yeah, no, it, it couldn't possibly be, but maybe it'll be better. And so I think you need to hold space at the top of the relationship for the growing pains and for it to look different than you thought it might look. Absolutely. And I do think, though, that there is this element of someone sometimes has to take the lead. And I think that Luke and Lorelai would not have been together if Luke wasn't ready to take the lead. So I would say don't be afraid to be the one that captains the ship. Luke is one step ahead this relationship kind of until they break up and get back together from the initial asking out to the all in speech. He's willing to meet the parents. You know, he's very on board and she's kind of playing catch up. And I think what happens because he is so confident and open and he doesn't, you know, besides that one kind of first awkward date, he doesn't really push her. So I think slowly she lets her guard down till she doesn't really realize how much she has fallen for him. Because Luke took the lead and made her feel safe, she is willing to lean into it a little bit more. So I think it's a combination of both things, like maybe take take the lead, but like you're saying, be conscious of the other person and don't push them because it does take her time. And that being said, also ask for what you need, because I think that after a while, Luke is feeling taken for granted. And I think after a while, it would bother me. I've been the leader in a relationship before. I've been the one pushing for the next step. And in my case, it worked out. But I think it does bother you after a while if you're always the one taking initiative. So I think, you know, be honest about how you're feeling about it, too. Yeah, I love that. Sweet. Which brings us to our final segment of the episode. All aboard! Toot toot! 
So for me, I think one of my favorite scenes from this time, the early stages in their relationship, is Luke making her the ice skating rink. And to put it in the context of the episode, we've established over the four seasons that Lorelai loves winter. She loves the first snow. She has that big, I smell snow scene the first time it snows. And in this season, uh, the snow has been really mean to her. It's caused her a lot of bad luck. And so she goes on this rant how, how she now hates the snow. And she hates winter. And Luke makes her a homemade ice rink. And so she comes home. He's got skates for her. And he says to her. Well, I felt kind of bad about you and Snow and the rough time you were having. And I really wasn't helping anybody saying all that stuff about Snow being a pain and impractical. And it's just icy water falling from the sky. And I thought maybe I'd get you two back together, make you feel better about Snow again. Oh, yeah. I'm grumpy about stuff, but I don't want you to be. And I love this moment because to me, it symbolizes their perfect balance as a couple. Their chemistry comes from the differences between them. She loves the snow and she loves winter and she gets giddy about it and crazy about it. And even though that's not who he is, it's what he loves about her. So when, you know, she comes around and kind of becomes more like him, he doesn't celebrate that. He doesn't celebrate winning her over to his side. He wants to embrace the full version of her and all that she is and all the ways that she is crazy and all the ways that she is different from him. I think it's one of those, like, I love you because of this, not in spite of this. So he makes an effort to restore her kind of to the full version that she is. And so, like, I love that moment of, like, just because I'm grumpy all the time doesn't mean I want you to be. He sees her for who she is and how she's different from him. And, you know, he doesn't just do it as this gesture of love, but he does it as an active thing to make her feel better, as an active thing to improve her life, which is why I think it's an act of service. It's so cute. I love that It's so good. For me, I was all aboard with them being fully together uh, when they danced at the wedding. I Mm -hmm. think it was a really cool moment, and we've talked about it a little bit, but... I, as a fast talker and lover of words, am obviously such a big fan of them being fast talkers and lovers of words, which is why it struck me so much when they started to have more silent moments and more moments of physical connection. Because mm-hmm. um, essentially this is coming off of their sort of almost fight about the the self-help book. And she comes up to apologize and he's like, it's cool. And then she's like, oh, do you want to get food? And he's like, or we could. And she's like, what? And he says, you know, dance. And you're like, oh my God, you said you didn't dance, you know? So it's a big deal because he said he didn't and he wants to do it. And mm-hmm. then and then it's this silent moment. If you really watch them, you can see on their faces there's so much that they both want to say. Yeah. And they don't. And they just don't. And I think that's so important for these two people who are always talking, always thinking, always moving, and always like symbolically dancing around each other to slow down for a second. And just be in that moment and, like, realize that nothing they could say could make it better, could improve upon the silence and the physical connection, I think is so important. Also, I love watching it because, like, they're not very good no, at the dancing. they're not even It's, like, really waltzing. bad. No, it's not waltzing at all, <laughs> which then makes it cuter to me how she's talking to um, Rory and she's like, Luke can waltz. Girl, no, he cannot. You just like him. And I think that's cute because it is an early moment of perspective from her where I'm like, 
Aw, your point of view on his dancing is skewed by your opinion on him. By your feelings. <laughs> yeah, I think that also comes back to like, will you just stand still? And like sometimes for just them to like stand still and be silent and be with each other, you know, the feelings come up. Totally. It's much more difficult. <laughs> I hope no one who ever wants to date me listens to this because it'll be a miracle. If- <laughs> I was just thinking... I'm like, well, this is the TV kids that I usually like. What a cool, chill girl I am. And <laughs> I'm not planning. I'm not overthinking. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just very go with the flow and super laid back. No, I take back what I said. I want any guy who ever wants to date me to listen to this because I'm just giving you a step-by-step cheat sheet, sir. Yeah. How to win a gal over. How to win a Gilmore gal. All right. Well, that's all that we have to say about this. Next episode, we will be talking about both of the big Luke and Lorelai breakups and how they wah, 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 and the ways in which they themselves contributed to these breakups and the way that some external forces contributed to these breakups. As always, you can find us on social media and let us know your thoughts about the Luke and Lorelai getting together moments, the wedding, the kiss, their early stage dating, and all of your thoughts about it. Um, There are so many good moments. I'm sure we didn't cover all of them. So talk to us about it. You've got wings, baby. All right, everyone. That's our show, as they say. Thank you so much to Katie Butterwitz for being here. You can follow her on Instagram at Katie underscore Bud and on Twitter and TikTok at Katie Butterwitz. Thank you to Chris Meisner for composing our fabulous theme music that you're currently listening to. You can find him on Instagram at Chris underscore Meisner, M-E-I-S-S-N-E-R. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram while you're there. We're at Talking Ship Podcast or visit our website, TalkingShipPodcast.com. And if you want to follow me, I'm at OnlyMegan815 on all of the platforms. That's Megan with no H. Thank you very much. And 815 like Flight 815 from Lost. Yep, that's quite literally the reason. Please, please subscribe to and review the pod if you want to be a pal. And if you don't want to be a pal, that's ultimately your choice. I can't really stop you, but I do hope you keep listening either way. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you feel satisfied and satiated. And I hope you join us again. This has been Talking Ship. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.